This episode of the International Teacher Podcast, Matt and I have the opportunity to talk with Julia, who I first met in Cairo back a hundred years ago. She was a first grader and her parents were teachers like me and like Matt back in 2004 and 2005 in Cairo, Egypt. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Greg, the single guy, and Matt, the family guy. We're recording episodes from around the globe to tell you about the best-kept secret in education. That's right, it's teaching overseas. We're glad to have you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, teachers, international teachers, people who live internationally, friends of people who are looking to live internationally, and uh, people who are just bored and needed a podcast to listen to. This is the International Teacher Podcast. I am Matt, the family guy, and with me is... Greg, the single guy. Good to see you back, Matt. Thanks, Greg. It's great to see you back here as well. Uh, Greg, I can't believe how quickly you got our last interview with Scott and Tara up and online. Oh, it's a labor um, of love, I think that man. was a record, like three hours, maybe? Absolutely. It was a long one, but it worked out okay. I hope the the, uh, the audio is a little bit better this time. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the joys of not having children, being able to sit up and do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have to worry about anybody else's schedule, so I can stay up all night and just do some podcasting. And this is our guest, Julia, Matt, and she's... Oh. Can I introduce her, Matt? Please, yes. Okay. When I taught in 2004 to 2005, I taught with the Walkers, Susan and Grant Walker. I have to put in a good plug for your parents, Julia, but welcome to our show, Julia. You are a third culture kid, and that's our topic today. So welcome to our show. I am. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be on the podcast. Oh, you just put a the. You prefaced the podcast with a the. We must be legit. Thanks, Julia. It's nice to have you. <laughs> and Julia is coming to us right now from uh, British Columbia, Nova, oh, sorry, Nova Scotia, not <laughs> British Columbia, Nova Scotia in Canada, if you don't know where that is. She's recently, <laughs> I didn't know where it Thank was. You. I, <laughs> Thank you for telling us Nova Scotia's in Canada. <laughs> you know what Nova Scotia means in Spanish, don't you? <laughs> what, Matt? I don't know. It's not a Spanish word. I was just, <laughs> never mind. Just making uh, it up. All right. Keep going, Greg. I don't want to talk <laughs> tell anymore. Let's tell us more geography. Ask lesson. Julia a question so I don't have to go into geography. Come on, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Julia, thanks for jumping in with us. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Julia, Greg was talking about a TCK, and this is not another um, province in Canada. Would you please tell our listeners in your words, what is a TCK? Yeah, for sure. So a TCK or a third culture kid is typically someone who has grown up outside of their passport culture or the culture of their parents and in one or more different cultures or different countries around the world. And the reason why it's typically called a third culture kid is because you've you're kind of making your own culture or own identity out of the mix of cultures of your parents and of the host cultures that you're, that you're living in because you're not truly one or the other. You're making this kind of third identity for yourself. 
Julia, have you ever had a moment where, I don't know, you were just going about doing everyday life stuff and one of those kind of moments presented itself and somebody looked at you and was like, what are you doing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think a lot of the times I often like catch myself wanting to say certain phrases or certain words when I'm in Canada that I know my friends won't really understand. Like, for example, growing up in Singapore, you which is primarily where I grew up as a TCK, you call everyone auntie and uncle, no matter if they're related to you or if they're not. It's just kind of a sign of respect. Sure. And I've come, come back to Canada before, and I've said that to a bus driver or a shopkeeper, like, thank you, uncle, <laughs> or thank you, auntie. And if I'm with someone, they're like, with me, or often like the bus driver will look at me super strangely, and I'll just kind of smile and shuffle away and pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, there's moments that you catch yourself and go, is this... Is this something you do here? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> sure, sure. So did you go to college all four years in Canada? I did, yes. Did you graduate high school overseas at an international school? Yes, I graduated from high school at an international school in Singapore. Okay. Are you able to talk about... Yeah, we can see it, right? I think so, yeah. I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I graduated from the Singapore American School. Oh, you went to SAS. Okay. Yes. Okay, yeah. very cool. One of very the big cool. biggies right there, huh? Yes, a very large international school in Asia, yeah. <laughs> so for you, when you were going from high school, transitioning to college in Canada, was that a huge adjustment for you? Or had you been to Canada enough? Or kind of walk us through what that adjustment might have been like for you. For sure, yeah. So when I was thinking about colleges and leaving high school, I knew I wanted to return to Canada mostly because that's where like financially it made the most sense for me to go being a Canadian citizen. But also I did want to explore this passport culture that I technically have citizenship from. And I had choices to make on where to go. My family is all from the West of Canada. So British Columbia, Alberta, my sister at the time was in school in Victoria out West, but I thought, no, I kind of want to try something else. I want to make my own path and go to the complete opposite side of the country from all of my family, as that's where the programs of interest that I wanted to do were. So I packed my bags and applied and I got into the school, Dalhousie University is where I went in Nova Scotia. And that was the first, I guess, big step was making that decision of, well, I know I'm not going to be with my parents anymore. So sure. I have to choose somewhere. And if I go out west I'll have family or I could try and be independent and that's what I chose and I don't regret it I, I love Nova Scotia it's been an amazing experience out here yeah did you go back to Canada that you can remember quite a bit so you had roots back there for sure so on average one every one or two years we would try to make our way back to Canada to the west coast to see our grandparents and our parents siblings and so that kind of gave us some roots to um, the West Coast. But at the same time, we didn't really go back to the town I was born in. So I have very little connection to the actual, my, my actual birthplace and more so to the West Coast of Victoria and Calgary. Um, but it was always intermittent and like we kind of never knew if we we're going back every summer or not or really how often we would get to see our extended family. So it did provide some roots and some stability of, oh, we are from Canada. We go back to Canada in the summers. So I never questioned if if I was Canadian or whatnot. But 
Um, I also at the same time wanted to explore a different part of the country because it is a huge country as your geography knowledge may, may or may not realize it's a big place. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen um, pictures. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think I got that right. Didn't I, Matt? Because we have talked about that before. You want to take your kids back to Wisconsin and really Wisconsin more than anything or wait, Minnesota. That's right. Minnesota. But you go back to Wisconsin Mm -hmm. in hopes of getting to Minnesota every summer. Wisconsin is the best place in the world. And that's where you decide to buy a house, right? So. Yeah, for real estate purposes, but we are Minnesotans who live in Wisconsin. Let's, Um, Let's just put that matter straight. And you're trying to build the roots for your kids, sort of like Julia is feeling some roots back with Canada. Julia, would you say that it was just the hanging out with family that helped you build those roots? Or are there things you remembered as a kid that helped you identify? So for let me give you an example. Like one of the things that I've done to, I guess, for lack of a better word, indoct- indoctrinate my kids into the fact that they are Minnesotans <laughs> is they love fishing. And we try to watch a lot of Minnesota sports. So I figured anyway, if you meet somebody from Minnesota, you're at least going to be able to talk with them about this. But are there things you remember growing up that I know you talked about seeing family and friends and stuff like that, but was there things that your parents did that made you feel like, oh, this kind of connects me to this also or something that you liked? I think it was primarily visiting our family and friends, visiting these people who live here all the time. And we're seeing my grandparents every summer at the same house that they've lived in, I think was a huge sense of giving us roots, like going back to the same family members' houses. And that became that familiarity of Canada is like going back to these places, but doing some Canadian things like camping and hiking and spending out time in the Canadian wilderness to get us familiar with that too. I think helped. Yeah. Were there any things that, let's say, for example, just in past visits you had as a kid and you got to Canada and you were just like, what is this? I cannot believe this. So probably my biggest culture shock moment, not culture shock, but shocked moment of maybe Canadian ignorance was when I came (laughs) here for university. Of course, growing up in Singapore, It was 30 degrees Celsius all year round, 100% humidity, super hot, no winter whatsoever. And so I arrive in Halifax and in my first semester of university and our first snowfall happens. And I was excited, but I was also woken up by the machines that take away the snow. And so the next day I asked all my friends and residents, I was like, oh, did you did you hear the snow bulldozers last night? (laughs) <laughs> and they're like, um, yeah, I guess. And they were kind of confused. And all day I kept asking people, oh, like the snow was beautiful, but I was woken up by these snow bulldozers. And then finally, my best friend turns to me at the end of the day and she was like, do you mean snowplow? And I was like, oh, is that what they're called? And she was like, yes. <laughs> I had no idea because I'd never been around these big machines that plow away the snow. Of course, that's what they're called. But yeah, yeah I'm sure I got a lot of strange looks that day. <laughs> what do you call the thing that cleans the ice in between the periods at a hockey game? Is that an ice bulldozer? <laughs> I do know what it's called. It's called a Zamboni. Oh, just checking. Just checking. Go just, ahead, Matt. What's yeah. your question? <laughs> Oh, no, I just had kind of made a lame connection in my head that if people were trying, if people don't have real a grasp or a concept of a third culture kid, I was thinking to the movie Elf with Will mm. Ferrell. 
Buddy the Elf. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, he spends his entire life at the North Pole and all of a sudden he's in New York City and it's just mm-hmm. like he has no idea what to call things, how things operate. You know, you think about the revolving door mm-hmm. and how what a crazy thing that was for him to see something like that. And so here you are looking at a snow bulldozer and exactly. that's just like, whoa, OK. Because, yeah. I mean, we had this in Canada, but it had always been in the summers, never the winters. And so there would be no reason for me to ever see a snow bulldozer in the summer. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You know, the first time that uh, Matt's son, his oldest son ever saw snow was in Germany. If I'm not mistaken, Matt, wasn't that when we went yep. to Munich, outside of Munich? We found this patch yeah, of snow much. in April, right? No, no, it was December. <laughs> like I said, it was December, and we're in the mountains, and I don't have the same memory Matt does, but I do remember <laughs> two, day, that- two days before Christmas, Greg. <laughs> Glad it meant a lot to you, too. <laughs> oh, Greg, we exchanged me. cards. At least I remember, of course, that your son yeah, had never yeah. seen snow before. And that was a special moment, but it happened to be in Germany, even though he's from Minnesota. You know, his son saw snow, at least to remember snow, not to see snow, but to remember what snow was like. Not, and not only was it Germany, but it was up at the Berghof, right outside Hitler's old driveway. See, I so, knew we'd lead yeah. into some stories, Matt, because I told Julia before she came on, this is a podcast about stories. And she has some, too, but I like to oh. twist them in there a little bit, you know. I didn't ask her about the police story, but she'll have to give us one of those two, right? Julia, do you have any police stories you can tell? I do, now that you you sparked my memory. Yes. It's become a bit of a thing on the show. I don't know why, but it started with one of my uh, one of my seventh grade study hall groups. They liked my police stories from South America. Then Greg and I started talking about it. Now everybody's talking about it. Tell us a police story from your vantage point, Julia. I don't think anything as crazy as what you have said so far. It's not a contest. <laughs> In my after my second year of university, I felt a draw back to Asia, and so I applied for an internship in Shanghai, China. I ended up doing a five week long research internship at a university there, which was so much fun. But they also arranged for us to do weekend trips to different parts of the country to explore the nation and not just be scientists uh, trapped in the lab all the time. So we get on a bus and they put all of us international students on this bus and they're getting us out of the city. We get pulled over and all of us are thinking, why are we getting pulled over? And sure enough, the police come on the bus and they have ask us to show our passports and our visas. And they end up taking photos of us with our passports and visas. And we had no idea if it was going to get more intense, if they're going to ask us questions, how long we were going to be stopped for. But luckily, that was it. They just took some photos and cleared us and we were on our way. Really? That was it? Yeah. No shakedown for cash or anything like that? No, no, luckily. <laughs> Your picture's up on a wall of some random police station with this group of people. Like, if you see this woman... <laughs> Very possible. Very possible. This was in Shanghai? Yeah. And and to the members of the Shanghai Police Department who are listening to this, thank you for letting Julia and her classmates off the hook that day. That was a close one. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for sharing A couple guys in Shanghai eating their lunch right now listening to this going, hey, they're talking about us. That's great. Fantastic. Okay, I'm going to go with a more serious question this time. Uh, mm-hmm. You say growing up overseas, what mark has that left on you as a person? Like, how has that contributed to the person you are today? I guess, I guess when you think about yourself and your traits and your things like that, that you identify that are uniquely yours, 
How has growing up as a third culture kid left its mark on you and your development as a person? I think it's made me very empathetic. I think growing up overseas in international schools where you're exposed to so many different people and cultures and religions from such a young age, you are just exposed to so much and makes you empathetic with people's situations and other situations that maybe if I'd grown up in Canada, I wouldn't have been exposed to and not have been able to have the capacity to empathize and to understand people as much as I do now. I think it's made me a very caring person and a person who likes helping others because of it. That is a great answer. (laughs) I love that answer. Thank you for sharing that one. What's something that you've seen along the way that left its mark on you? Like, I will never be able to forget something like that, or I'll never be able to forget seeing that, or something that just left a lasting impression on you. That's a tough one. (laughs) Because you're right. You go a lot of places, you meet a lot of people, you see a lot of things and you can't help. But I, I would agree more too. I've become a more empathetic person just because of that. It's not the way you see things black and white anymore. It's you learn to see things from so many other points of view. You can't help but be empathetic. Exactly. Well, I think it kind of drove me to what I wanted to study with environmental science. Like with growing up overseas, being able to travel to so many places was amazing, but it was also eye-opening to the degradation that humans have on the world. I think that changed me and it made me want to study and do what I'm hopefully going to be doing for the rest of my life is which will be protecting nations but also the environment helping others who are less fortunate possibly working for the un i don't know but sure sure yeah yeah no definitely so i mean if that is the goal set that goal mm-hmm. absolutely great i love that answer julia and i think that you could probably tell us a few stories about being in impoverished countries and the travel because my eyes have been opened up to some absolute bottom of the barrel poor areas of the world and i know in canada and in the states we have poor people we have a lower class but in some countries that you've had opportunities to travel to like in cambodia we had people that were making less than a dollar a day in their life right and we try to go out to that community and help them just a little bit briefly to build a home or to raise some money for their food. Just going around Venezuela, where Matt and I both spent a lot of time, I was dating somebody that was from the barrios, right? Somebody that lived in these these little shacks. I would go into that community and see the the lack of anything. Could you share a couple stories with us or a couple um, memories that you have of travel? Because I think as an international student, some of the better schools have given you opportunities to travel around. And maybe you could touch on some of those for us. Definitely, yeah. As one of the many privileges from an international school was often taking school trips to nearby countries, which people back in Canada and the U.S. can't even really understand what that's that's like. For example, I went on a service trip to Laos back in high school. Part of the trip was biking around the country, which was amazing, but also part of it was doing service work and going to small villages and teaching students English or bringing them school supplies. And I think that was one place where I really saw a lot of poverty and a lot of people that could be helped. And even just us being there, doing what we could, made the situation hopefully better. It only increases, I think, your awareness to issues 
but then at the same time, like learning that they're so complex. And I think having now studied more sustainability and environmental science issues as a young adult, you see the complexity that maybe you don't see fully as a child. So getting that exposure as a child, but then going into an adulthood and realizing the deep political and societal issues that often relate to impoverishment and environmental degradation and wanting to fix things, but it being so complex. I tell you, complex is the word because I went to Africa and before we left on our, our trip, it was a ser- it was through the Serengeti and there were all this stuff. And the, the organizers of the trip, Trina and Anjuma, said, do not expect to bring money or gifts or food or anything. The most important thing you can do is when we go visit a village that's along the way and we stop at a lot of villages, please bring basic school supplies. In fact, we were doing a drive for it at our school, at your school. This is when I was with your parents in Egypt and we went to this. I don't remember if your parents went or not. I don't know. But I was with, anyway, uh, there was like 30 of us that went and we took all the old pencils and all the old erasers. We went out and bought new ones. And we took little bags of these around with us and handed out these things to the kids when we'd go to the villages. Because if you send money, if you bring money, it goes right to the parents. If you bring food, it might go right to the parents. It might go to their handler if they don't have parents. So we learn, and this is just a little smidgen, just a little itty bit, a glimpse of what the world problems are. But we could not change that village or that child's life in that brief moment that we were there. I remember even living in Cambodia, I had, there was so much in Cambodia that was going on. Your parents had visited me there once and I'd ride along my scooter and I kept food and I'd give kids food because if I, they could eat it right away. And I'm talking about like five-year-old kids that were walking around the streets that would do things for money, like wash your car, that would sell you a three-day-old newspaper, right? But they had handlers. So if you gave them money, they would have to give it to the handler. If I gave them food, immediately they could eat it and get a little nourishment and then move on. But these were not things that I could solve at all. So now that you're working and studying in the field of the environmental science and changing the world, you are definitely the spitting image of what Matt and I are doing. We're here at international schools to have students grow up to do what you're going to do, and that's change our future which is amazing. I can't believe that. I mean, I can believe it, but I'm excited about it. Can't believe how excited I am about it. If you don't mind, I'm going to scoot along to the next. Yes. The you next have more deeper topic. questions. Please go ahead. Not necessarily deeper, just questions. Uh, Julie, which countries have you lived in, by the way? Yeah. So I was born in Canada and then from there we moved to Egypt. And after Egypt, we were in Saudi Arabia for a brief stint and then we moved to singapore and that's where i stayed until i graduated high school until moving back to canada in all your travels and the things you've done what would you say is probably the coolest country or coolest city you've had a chance to visit definite oh yeah i mean there's so many beautiful places in the world um Unfortunately, like I was so small that I don't remember Egypt too much. And I wish I did. I wish I remembered it more because I think I would have had fantastic memories of the pyramids and everything. Of course, of course, um, that would be one of them. But for my predominant memories is growing up in Asia. And so one of the countries I got to go to was Bhutan. And that was, I think, the most incredible nation I've ever been to because it's just so 
untouched by the rest of the world and everyone there is so nice and welcoming. They want to share their country, but also preserve it. And so they have caps on tourism and you have to have a local guide take you around. So you're doing things in a sustainable way that's benefiting the country's economy and their people, but not being intrusive. Bhutan is set in the Himalayas next to Nepal and India. And so the landscape as well is just absolutely stunning of the mountains rising above you and the valleys and the rivers. So definitely. Forgive my gringo ignorance here. Isn't Bhutan also had the cool living structures up on like the sides of the faces of the, the mountains and things like that? thought, okay, maybe I'm going to go look that up when we get out of here. I think Mm -hmm. that might have been the place or maybe not. I'm not sure. I think you're thinking of Tennessee, Matt. Tennessee, that's where they have (laughs) them down there in the valleys, I think. (laughs) Got that. Yeah, no. Okay. So uh, after having a chance to go cool places like that, have you ever found it hard to try and connect with people in, in your passport country because of all the things you've gone to and done? Definitely. I think it's can be quite challenging for TCKs to readjust or refit in in their passport country because of this. I think sometimes people hear your stories and they don't understand kind of the context of what it's like to grow up overseas and how it's easy on a weekend to go from Singapore to Malaysia and as easy as it is to go from Canada to the U.S., but because people don't have that geographical context, like it just sounds a lot more extravagant than really it is or it's or it's the lifestyle that that you grew up in and yeah people can either just kind of not want to hear about it or maybe they do and then their image of you changes or on the off chance people want to hear more and and respect you more because you have this maybe more global mindset but it can be challenging and it can be isolating at times for tck's to return to their passport country and feel like they can't really connect with the people there but also they've left their culture, the the most recent culture they had lived in. And so then that can make you feel more isolated. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was thinking back to the first year that we were overseas, I remember being really excited to go home at Christmas. And I remember, you know, talking to some family members on the phone and they're like, yeah, well, you're going to, you're going to go here and see us. Right. And I was like, wait a minute, we're, we're just, you know, coming from all the way from South America to get up here, you can't drive an hour to come see us. Are you serious? And so for even family to not necessarily have that connection, it'd be a little more difficult even to connect on that level with family members. I can see it's even more challenging as a kid who's been overseas almost their whole lives. Definitely. Yeah. Your family who has stayed in, in their passport country and never left to live anywhere else. They sometimes don't understand. And I'm sure my family thought my parents were crazy for taking us overseas, but that's for their podcast to talk about. If you were to go back to Singapore right now and go hang out, your parents are there, correct? No, actually they've left Singapore and they're in Switzerland now. Okay. I'm sorry. We talked about that way at the beginning. Uh, Okay. My bad. So let's say you could go back to Singapore right now. I'm assuming you'd want to, when you go back there, what's something you would do to reconnect yourself with your roots in Singapore? I would eat all the food. (laughs) There's this, Oh, like chicken rice or dumplings or all the tropical fruit. Just The, the food there that I grew up with that I can't replicate here in Canada that I feel 
that are like my, my comfort foods and what reminds me of, of the city and of the, the time sure. that I had there. Do you miss that? Definitely. Yeah. So what have you found in Canada then that has not filled the void, but at least kind of taken place of that and given you some comfort? Whether it be places to connect or food, things like that, what what's helped you? Like, for example, in past episodes, Greg and I have always talked about the need to go back home and reconnect with kind of who you are and what made you who you are. So what have you found in Canada so far that's given you that? I think for me, I, I am someone who loves to cook. So finding recipes from home that I can cook here myself and replicate things as much as I can or sharing bits of stories or uh Singaporean culture with my friends like we've celebrated Chinese New Year the past few years I've been here and and bringing a window of home into my life here the friends that I have here are open to like learning and asking me stuff so that that really helps I noticed Matt, sure. that in your question and in her answer Julia you think of home is sort of a difficult answer right? It's it's not just where you grew up. It's not just about going back to Canada. It might be Singapore for you because you grew up in your formative years there in high school and graduated from there and spent the most time there as opposed to those other countries you were in you can barely even remember. That question of where's home. And I think that's what Matt's trying to instill in his kids is an idea of home base maybe being back in Minnesota. They're definitely Minnesotans. And that's a hard thing as a parent to do is to instill that in your in your kids and give them that. It's tough, and it, whether or not they even want that, right? It's something that the parents have to struggle with. So your parents had to definitely make an effort to try and give you an idea of going back to certain parts of Canada. But even growing up now in, in pastor school and going on to master's, you're still thinking possibly as Singapore is home. Oh, for sure, yeah. It's something I, I grapple with a lot is that sense of home. And I think for me, I've come to determine homes, like it's plural, there's multiple places. <laughs> and I find comfort in those places, but also in the people that are in those places. So I could go back to Singapore and it feels like home. Halifax feels like home. Switzerland now feels like home, even though I've only visited once or twice. The West Coast of Canada feels home, but... I think I answered it the same way. It's the people that you're with is make you feel at home exactly. rather than the physical place. But it's not for everybody, right? For, for Matt, not especially, for it's going back and getting back on that golf course, especially, right? And he, he has sure, his family yeah. with him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even this conversation, because it's putting me back into that international world that... I lived in it. it. So this is familiar and talking about things that are familiar between all of us. This feels like home. So, so. let me, let me share a story. Cause I love stories and it's story time. Yes. Now, Matt, I'm going to tell you a story about her parents. Can't wait. Let's hear it. Grant and Susan and I were living in Cairo one night. Grant and Susan are like, Greg, we're going to the Canadian embassy every third Thursday of the month in Cairo at the time around 2004 to five, they had an embassy party. Germans were giving out bratwurst and the Canadians had their Canadian beer and their rye, right? You know, they don't call it whiskey. They call it rye. That's what they like. And we were going to go to this embassy party. And even though I'm American, Matt, I'm American, right? I can go to this thing if I bring my passport. All right. Sure. And I don't, did I tell you this story on the podcast already? I don't think I did. No, I've never heard this one. Two part story. 
the first part of the story is on the way there, Julia, your mom and dad were bent on making sure that I knew the provinces of Canada, right? There were nine provinces and they're going over it with me. But we get into the taxi cab and in Cairo, if I take a moment to describe taxi cabs, you never know the quality that you're getting into. They have these black and white cabs, if I remember it right, and you get in, the door may not work. There might be a 60-watt light bulb in the ceiling instead of a regular one. They don't believe in Cairo. They don't believe in turning on their lights at night. I don't think they have the word for alternator in Egyptian Arabic. And I know I'm getting really into this, but the point of this is that when Susan and Grant and I got into the car – Grant turns around and we're talking, et cetera. We go around a corner and we had gotten into a cab that didn't really have the best doors because all of a sudden the door opens up and your dad almost flies out of the, I mean, we're not going very fast. We're in a residential area, but he literally almost like glides out of this door and then he brings himself back in and we finally, uh, we get through this, this harrowing taxi drive. And your parents get me up to the gate and they go in and here I am, this American. And the guy says, where's your passport? I had forgotten my passport. It was probably Uh. 45 minutes away by traffic. So I get there and I'm standing there and there's a metal detector and a a Canadian Mountie guy. I don't know what you call the police officers there. Mounties? He wasn't on a horse or anything and he didn't have any moose ears. But he was there and he said, are you Canadian? I said, no. He said, let me see your passport. Are you American? I said, yes. He goes, oh. Let me see your passport. And I said, well, I just came in. You know, they're Canadians. I came in with them. He's like, yeah, but where's your passport? I said, I don't have it, officer. And he's like, oh, well, let's see. Do you know any Canadians? I said, well, yeah, they just went up. The Grants just went up. Grant and Susan just went up the stairs. The walkers. And he said, yeah, okay. Uh, Do you know anything about Canada? You know, I'm like, uh... It's north of the U.S. And he's like, all right, do you like Canada? Ding. And I'm like, one. yeah. And I'm answering all these questions. Finally, and I thought this was serious, but he was just egging me on. He finally looks at me, smiles. He goes, go on up there. Have fun. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm sitting here. I felt like I was at the border crossing, you know, of some communist country trying to get in because I just wanted a little bit of rye. But anyway, your mom and dad will probably tell a better story than that. I might have gotten things wrong, but I remember when you were just a little girl, you said you were first grade when Mm -hmm. you were there in Egypt, and your sister was in fourth, and what a great memory that was. I had a great time in in that country, even though I only stayed a year. It was a school was not for me, but the country was spectacular. So, Matt, that's my story for this time. Are you going to throw in any stories this time, Matt? You didn't throw one of the nine provinces out? For the guy? Uh, oh, I think I forgot I mean, him. I still can't remember. On, him. There's like a Northwest Territories, I think, is one of them. Is Nova Scotia one of them? I yes. I yes. learned about Canada. It is. Two points. Dang Two it. points for you, Greg. You guys are so kind. Yeah, it was the Canadian judge that allowed it. So there you go. Exactly. All right. So I know you've been overseas for quite a while. Um, You'll probably be interested in traveling again. What's a place on your bucket list that you have plans to check out? Well, I'm hopefully moving to Switzerland in September for my master's. So I'm hoping if COVID restrictions get better to travel around more of Europe that I haven't seen with some new friends and maybe my family. But yeah, it all depends on this little virus situation. 
Let's let's take out the if and put a when in there. Exactly. When. When. I like when. that word a lot better. Greg, do you have any more questions you want to go into? I'm good on stories, actually. Your mom and dad came to visit me in Cambodia one time. I do remember that. They came and spent maybe a weekend. And Matt, this was great. I'll tell you a little bit about this. When they arrived, I had gotten some, I was trying to think of some things that we could do in Cambodia that they haven't done before. Bed and breakfast. Yeah, we stayed at a hotel. And we stayed at a hotel that was north uh, by Angkor Wat, saw Angkor Wat. But I, one re- thing I remember is these little candy corns because I wanted to give them the experience of living in Southeast Asia, which is different than other parts of Asia. It's very poor and there's these creative, terrible things that people eat. Now, they weren't as excited about these spiders and about the bugs and all these other things, but... I came across this one thing that your father, Julia, loves, and it's the cream corn candy. And imagine, Matt, if you were to take a can of creamed corn from the Jolly Green Giant, and you yep. took that whole can and stuck it into this little uh, Lifesavers type of, or, you know, some kind of a candy that's wrapped up. Imagine that. What would it taste like? <laughs> My stomach is turning right now. <laughs> That's exactly the way Grant felt. No. I remember it like it was yesterday because no we got it on video. It's like having an entire can of creamed corn in one little candy, and it just keeps giving back. And you know, for the whole hour that you suck on this thing, if you can make it through. <laughs> I don't know how much of a story that is, but I do remember that like it was yesterday. I just I love it so much. Your parents are wonderful people, Julia. Okay, well, I think we we got time for maybe a couple more. So I got a couple quick questions here, Julia, that I want to throw your way. And then I think we're just about ready to wrap up. Um, Julia, just in the event that we have some third culture kids who eventually might listen to this episode, what would be some advice you could give them as they transition from wherever it is they are to wherever it is they're going? What might help them along the way? That's a good question. I think keeping in contact with the friends they've made over the years, if they can. For me, a lot of friends uh, left Singapore, even though I stayed for the 10 years, people came and go went quite frequently. So it's better now with technology. When I was super young, sure. that, that wasn't as um, prominent, but keeping yeah. in touch with whoever you can and, and knowing that this rootlessness is a blessing even if it is sometimes difficult to to feel rootless or um kind of in in the void of not knowing where where home is but also liberating because it means you can make home where wherever you want it to be and that's yeah that's very freeing when you realize that sure sure thanks um another one julie have you heard of building a raft before Maybe (laughs) it's a phrase that they commonly refer to for people who are third culture kids and building the raft involves um, helping you transition from one place to the next. Like I think the R is reconciliation. The A is for uh, not anarchy, but okay. I was hoping that Julie would know what it was. It's my fault. I was just going to say, is there a part of your, the building, the raft that helped you also move as well? Like you talked about some things that third culture kids could do, but that's okay. We can scrap that question if you aren't familiar with that one. Not the raft, but I think 
what um, third culture kids have a lot of tools that will make maybe going off to university easier than their peers back coming sure. from the country. Like going and making new friends in a new city was not so scary for me because sure. I had had to do that before and other people might not have. So you, you have a lot of tools as you third culture kid that you might not realize, but will come in handy. Okay. That's a great segue to this part then. So what tool have you been equipped with that's helped you out the most? Probably resiliency to situations and change um, and ease of meeting new people and making connections quickly because you never know how long someone's going to be in that place. Sure. Absolutely. That's huge. That's huge. Mm -hmm. And one thing that's always funny is like when I'll be home for the summer, I'll go to the bank through the drive through window and cash a check. And if the business, if it's slower than normal, the, the cashier will come in and apologize at least three times because I had to wait maybe four minutes. And I'm like, hey, I got all day. Like this isn't waiting in line at a bank at internationally where I'm, if I need to cash a check, it's probably going to take me three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And uh yeah, I know that's a really lame kind of resiliency, but <laughs> but yes, that's all I can think of right now. Hey, I'm sorry, it's late and I haven't had any caffeine for a while. So totally fair. <laughs> all right. Greg, you have any more questions or should we wrap this thing up? Are you possibly doing a podcast in the future, Julia? Yes. I'm hoping to start my own third culture kid podcast to connect TCKs around the world. Um, hopefully giving another space for TCKs to connect to and feel less rootless if they have uh, knowledge of other people feeling in the same boat as them, even if they can't find um, people in their city who are TCKs. I am still in the works, but eventually I will get some sort of communication set up for that. Well, as soon as you have that up and running or even one half of an episode, you let us know and we'll get that out on the air for our uh, four listeners. No, I'm just kidding. We'll get that on the air. Any of our teacher friends, colleagues uh, that are listening to this that have TCKs, we should hopefully get you some interviews with them. Hopefully they'll reach out to you and start listening to your podcast. So you can, have you seen any other TCK podcasts out there, Julia? I have, but a lot of them are geared toward missionary kids, which I think are a lot of reasons for like TCKs. They're often missionary kids, but I think this perspective of being an international school teacher's kid, um, is maybe not out there and kind of the differences between military and missionary kids. So I'm hoping to provide a new niche as well. All right. Well, uh, Julia, we want to thank you for your time and for coming on here. This was awesome. And we appreciate your ideas and your perspectives and all of the things that you've been through. And uh, we wish you luck on your next phase as you make the jump into Switzerland on the Masters. Thank you very much for inviting me and hosting me. And this has been so much fun. Uh, again, if you if you want to give us a little shout out and reach out, you can find us on Gmail at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, complaints can be addressed to Greg, the single guy. And we are also on uh, Instagram, ITPexpats. You can find us also on Twitter, although we don't often have much to say. So that's probably the first platform that's going to get axed from the show. But I think we should put a wrap in this one. <laughs> oh. I'm Matt, the family guy. And Julia, you are? 
the TCK. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Greg the fa- Greg the Family Guy. No, I can't get that right ever, man. I'm Greg the Single Guy. And this is the International Teacher Podcast signing off. Thank you. I'm going to be editing this all night, too. Oh, Julia, that was fun. You didn't have kids. That was you so much fun. fun.